Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Physiology Secrets Podcast. Uh, no episodes in the last couple of weeks, so we thought we'd jump on and do uh, a bit more of a comprehensive one this week, all about race preparation. We've got how many guys now? Is it six going up to Cairns? Oh, I've got two. Two, how many two guys? I think I've got four uh, overall. So we've got six guys going up and racing Ironman Cairns, or 70.3, in the coming weeks. So we thought we'd go through basically a checkbox of all the different uh, parts of the preparation in the last couple of weeks that we need to we need to consider to be able to have a quite a solid race, given that conditions down here at the moment pretty cold on the jackets today. Uh, so going from that transition of cold weather and then heading up to a hotter climate to race just requires a bit of a different uh, different look at preparation. So just wanted to cover off and bring Tyler in on discussion about what you've done previously in terms of racing as well uh, for different types of conditions, but then also at Ironman level. From a physical perspective, what are we what are we looking at, guys, in terms of the last, I guess, two weeks, one and a half weeks? Obviously, a taper period in terms of the physical aspect, but how do we want to be feeling? Um, what what do we do in terms of recovery to, to make sure we're optimally ready to go? Yeah, so I mean, from a physiological standpoint, um, we want to acclimatise. So, or, or for a lot of people, we call it acclimation technically. So, acclimatisation is actually going over to the environment you're racing in, and then getting used to it there. Acclimation is trying to simulate that environment, um, say in Melbourne or football, wherever they're watching from. So um, we want to try to get two weeks of training at at the environment or as close to as possible. So what we can do from an acclimation standpoint is uh, is essentially, sometimes it can be tricky to actually to train in that environment, given that it is pretty freezing cold if you're looking at Melbourne weather now, uh, and it's not very humid. Um, what you can do is, is use things like saunas uh, or steam rooms, but preferably saunas straight after a training session. So uh, there's a fair bit of research out there now that shows that if you do a, like a, a really hard, high-intensity session, it doesn't have to be high-intensity session, but it's better if it is, high-intensity session, then you jump straight into a sauna for 20 or 30 minutes. I'd generally go for 30 just because you can't control those commercial saunas. You can get an increase in that blood plasma volume by about 30 to 33%. Okay, And that's one of, that is probably the, or it is the, one of the main um, adaptations of acclimatizing is to get more blood plasma, basically the fluid in your blood. Um, we get more of that, therefore we can actually afford to sweat more of it out before we become dehydrated. Um, you get a little bit of those, those sweating benefits as well. So the two main ones are that you start to sweat more, therefore you can cool yourself down better because we know we lose 70% you know, of our heat through, through sweating. Um, and then also we have more fluid to lose before it starts to hinder us. So I uh, definitely recommend jumping the sauna two to three times a week, 30 minutes just continuously in there after a session. Uh, if you can simulate an environment even better, uh, I know some people, I think, you, doesn't Mark do it? He, he yeah, jumps yeah, in the jumps shower. In the, yeah, turn the, turn the shower on, steam up the room and get the heaters going for a bit and then jump in and do your session in in the bathroom. I mean, that's it. Seems a bit silly, but it works. You can yeah, do it in laundry as well. Um, gets the temperature up, gets the humidity up. Yeah, for sure. I mean, something like that is probably a good idea. Uh, just like training on an erg session without using a fan, that's not really going to have the desired yeah. benefit because we'll the environment itself. On, yeah. yeah, it's still the environment itself is still the same. You really want to try to simulate that humidity and those external temperatures. So um, something like yeah, as simple as is just steaming up the the bathroom with a hot shower and just doing your, your wind trainer session in there. That that works pretty well. So. Um, I think there are other the recommended guidelines. You still got to hold about fifty percent VO2 max, which is you know, his own two comfy, yep. just comfy for for thirty to sixty minutes, probably closer to sixty if you can twice a week. So it's not like a massive amount to acclimatise, but um, certainly worthwhile doing from a physiological standpoint. Um, what have you noticed? You sort of told a story before about Kona and how you felt. Yeah, I think mentally. I mean, everyone knows anyone's been to Asia or a hot place like that. When you step off the plane, it hits you in the face hard, and you go, oh, "It's hard." And I, I, Never forget the feeling 
Um, we were staying down near the church, which is near first run turnaround for anyone who's been to Kona. And I went out one day and ran 5Ks, first run there, and it felt terrible. It was unbelievably stifling. And then I think the next day I rode, um, where'd I go? Okay, it's about 100Ks on the bike. And I got home and again, I was absolutely cooked. And I thought, what? Well, how am I gonna do this? This is ridiculous. I had come off, but topped out at 220Ks in Melbourne and I'd run over 40Ks a handful of times and all of a sudden 5Ks and 100 on the bike was absolutely emptying me, it felt like. Um, <clears throat> but I was there two and a half weeks before and, well yeah, it's, it's hard to explain, but I sort of felt like as each day went on, I was just more comfortable in the environment. So those physiological things have been happening as well, but mentally, yeah, two weeks later I'd go out and I still felt hot. I was very, no hiding, I was aware it was hot and the sun was out and it's belting down, but it didn't seem to affect me as much. So how much that's psychological and just getting yeah. used to that feeling, which I think is a massive part, just being confident in yourself and comfortable in your own um, head. Uh, which yeah, I would, two weeks, I think I'd, if I was going back, I'd be wanting two weeks at least, I think, ideally. Otherwise, yeah, I'd be trying to do some of those things Luke was talking about at home before getting over there. Yeah. Yeah, so getting there, getting there early is, is probably ideal. And that, I mean, you have a look at what the pros do. They go over weeks in advance to get used to the conditions and then they race. Not always practical. So, yeah, if we can use some of these techniques like using saunas, um, steaming up a bathroom at home and doing your wind trainer session in there, you might be able to get a similar sort of adaptation or effect. may not be completely ideal, but it's still better than doing nothing. Um, so in terms of so maybe some other things just before we move on in terms of the physical side of things, you mentioned you went out and did a... You did a 5k run, did 100k's on the bike uh, in that sort of lead up while you were over there. What else were you? What do, what do you typically do the couple of weeks out from a race? You're looking at hitting any particular types of sessions. I know we've talked about tapering and peaking before, but from your perspective in terms of preparing yourself for the race, what do you feel works best for you? What? Um, I think I think oh, I think being confident is as big a part as anything else. So. I would generally have about a, what works out to about a 13 day sort of taper period, even you know, two weeks out, I suppose it's still coming down. Four weeks out probably is my biggest weekend where I'll have a, a huge sat day. So I think for a while I was sort of six and a half hours on the bike, um, 45 minutes run off it, and then it might have been a, a three hour run first thing Sunday morning. So. That together was a massive weekend, I think that was about a month out. And then the next two weekends, I think, trying not to get caught that four weeks out was my biggest block, but trying not to get caught up with, right, that's it. And then still the next two weekends are quite big. But then after that I really go very easy for a week or so until race week and I try and do some pickups just to feel good. But I, I personally think if mentally you can handle it, and I think it's the hardest thing, you, need, you want to be fresh. I'd rather be maybe have slightly too aggressive taper, be a bit fresh than being cooked. And like I'm not talking about doing nothing for a month, yeah. but um, I think it's sort of accepting that you need to do that is big, but, um, but still being confident in the work that's been done before that. So yeah, um, yeah race week, I'll probably try and do something every day. I would usually have, if it's a Sunday race, I'd do nothing at all on a Friday. And then Saturday I'll do a really short swim, short bike, short run. Um, I don't like to have a full day after the day before the race. I feel mentally maybe that's all it is, but I feel a bit lethargic on that. So I'll have that full day off Friday and just relax and then do a little bit more. Earlier in the week, nothing big. Um, some reasonably high intensity, probably for an Ironman, I'm thinking 
more like above Ironman pace, maybe back towards 70.3, but sort of short, sharp intervals just to get the heart rate up, get used yep. to that those movement patterns, um, and sort of finish the session feeling good, feeling like you've, you've done some good work, but hopefully not generating too much fatigue and just sharpening up, I guess that's sort of my goal, and yeah, mentally being happy with where I'm at. Yeah, so mostly it surrounds around that confidence aspect, you just yeah, want to be so, yep. feeling good to go on race day. Um, and then back your prep in, like you said. Uh, in terms of moving away from the physical and maybe psychological stuff now, nutrition and hydration, pre, pre-event, pre so in, in the case, the days leading into the event, but then also what's happening on race day and ideally probably post-event as well after you finish. What should we be, one, aiming for? What do you do? What types of things do you have during the race, pre-race, to get you ready to go, make sure we've got enough fuel in the tank to be able to perform at our best? Yeah, I mean, oh, I, mean, I might cover the science side and then you go, but what works for you? Because I think it's, just before we do talk about that, I think uh, the mental aspect, the individuality aspect is really important. Um, the science is one thing, but the coaching is the other thing and what works for you as well. Yeah. So I could say with the taper period, for example, some guys, I give them a solid week a week prior to because mentally they need yeah. it. Right? Same with nutrition. It's not one one size fits all. Yeah. Um, there's the science and then there's also what works for you as well. So from a from a, like a carbohydrate loading perspective, and I'm sure there's quite a lot of people who, who get on the ketosis and that. We've, had, we've talked about that before. Um, but from a scientific perspective, we need carbohydrates. So carbohydrate loading program, we want to do it for, you know, in an ideal world, we're going to do it for you know, a solid week, but even just three days is, is pretty good. You know, and they're sort of honing in on that, saying that two to three days is where you yep. get you know, that, the most of that benefit of carb loading. So even two to three days, you know, we're getting a fair bit of carbohydrates in. You know, you'd be looking up around that 7 to 12 in its broad range, at 7 to 12 grams per kilo um, of body weight. So if you're a, you know, 100 kilos, just so it's easy for the maths, you're looking at you know, 700 to 1,200 grams of carbohydrates, which is quite a bit. Look, I often don't... I tell people not to go too over the top. If you're not used to carb loading, don't, don't necessarily consume extra but just replace replace yeah. protein and fat with carbohydrates so you don't go and have a steak dinner you have a pasta for dinner you know uh, for, for breakfast if you were normally going to have eggs well it's you know a lot of protein maybe you can have some cereal or have something else you know yeah, get some gatorade or any any sort of sports drink some breakfast juice is really really high in sugar those sort of things so just replace look what you're taking at the moment and replace the the things that are higher in fat and protein with with carbohydrate alternatives and you generally get your carb loading from there with that minimum Minimal gastric upset. So um, you definitely want to be doing that for three days out. So Kansas is a Sunday race, so you'd be looking at starting that on a Thursday. You know, so it's particularly like a Thursday night into a Friday into the Saturday. That's a good sort of carbohydrate loading block. Uh, and you want to hydrate as well. So hydration prior to the event would either be, um, you can either do a hypotonic drink solution or an isotonic. So hypotonic is where you've got no sugar or very low sugar, but a lot of electrolytes, so all the salts. So you're really trying to hydrate yourself. Um, these are drinks like um, Performance Prodrate, which we've got in the back here, if you can see. Um, Endura Do It, uh, 3-2GI, they're, they're sponsoring a lot of the events. I actually quite yep. like their stuff too, really, really nice flavour. They have high, sh- uh, not high, sugar, high salt and electrolytes, but very low sugar, so that's good for your hydration. Uh, and you also might want to consider some isotonic solutions, such as, again, you can use Performance, Gatorade, Powerade, those types of drinks where they have a balance of sugar and electrolytes. So that's going to give you your hydration, but it's also going to help with your carbohydrate loading as well. Um, for a hydration standpoint, there's also hypertonic, that's high sugar, that's your Red Bull, your, your Coke, that sort of stuff. Not really good for hydration. If you're going over to Cairns, we want to make sure you're hydrated. Yeah. You can get plenty of sugar other, like, through other methods. 
Um, but you can talk about using that in, in a race, which I'll talk about in a sec. But yeah, so you just get fluid in, um, just keep drinking. Like you should, your, your urine should be pretty clear. You shouldn't have any, you know, it shouldn't be yellow at all. So just keep drinking. Hypertonic, isotonic gets plenty of food and replace those, those fats and those proteins with carbohydrate alternatives. Um, during the event, Given it's, oh, I haven't actually checked the forecast, but I assume it's going to be pretty, yeah, pretty I, think, I think last year it was 26 degrees and yeah. pretty high humidity. So that, that'll be about the same, I would have thought. Um, so you just make sure you're drinking. Again, for the, for the most part, most people will be consuming gels uh, and bars. Again, this is where it is very individualised, mm. like what works for you from a gastric upset point of view. Um, rough guidelines, 60 to 90 grams per hour of, of glucose, sugar, carbohydrates. So if you're... Throw some numbers out there. If you're, you know, under 70 kilos, you can probably get away with that 60 to 75. If you're sort of over 70, 80, you're probably trying to get close to 75 to 90 yeah. grams. All right. So we're looking at a two to one glucose to fructose ratio. We're getting just scientific. Most of the things on the market are that. So basically, the body can transport 60 grams of glucose, and it has another transporter which can transport 30 grams of fructose. Okay. So you can essentially transport up to 90 grams an hour, so long as only 60 is glucose and 30 is fructose. So just have a look at the ratio. But generally speaking, most bars and, 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 and gels follow that ratio because that's what the science shows. Um, but it doesn't matter whether it's yeah, a gel or a bar or, um, you know, if you get a donut. <laughs> Ivan loves, loves a donut, not on the race yeah. day. But the things like that, just go nuts, get sugar in you. It doesn't really matter what it is. Just make sure you are consuming plenty. Um, obviously, you're gonna have to pace yourself pretty well, given it, if it is hotter and a more humid environment, you are gonna sweat more. Hopefully, you say we've acclimatized a little bit and you can combat that. Always pouring water on yourself, ice cubes in the hat if you've got that. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously, we can sweat to cool down, but we can also cool down by putting cold things on the body. So whether that be, make sure you, know, you don't wanna wear gloves, you know, try to expose your hands, um, get, get cold things on your body, which are whatever way possible you can. Um, yeah, so looking at 60 to 90 grams, you're hydrating. Look, if you're starting to hit the wall because you haven't done that nutrition properly, which, you know, for most people, you're probably going to hit the wall at some point. Yeah. You know, it's just physically, it's hard to, you, generally speaking, you're going to use more energy than you put in just because it's, it's hard to eat and drink and all the rest. Uh, that's when you can consider maybe switching to those hypertonic solutions. So on the run, you might be jump, jumping on the Red Bull and the Coke because you actually are out of sugar. All yeah. right? So you need to figure out what you need. If you need to hydrate, you go the low, lower sugar, higher salt. If you need energy, the higher sugar, lower salt option. And, and uh, if all goes to plan, you're just, just a, a numbers game of putting in, hopefully, as much as you put out, and uh, and you're pretty consistent throughout the race. Yeah. What do you find, Tyler? So you've had, had a fair bit of experience with this. Where are we at pre beforehand, leading up? Yeah, just uh, yeah, just take us through, you wake up on a Thursday, I guess, or and you're on a Sunday race. What do you um, think? typical? I think, like, probably, I don't know if anyone else who's out there training for marathons and Ironmans and things like that, if you're anything like me, you're eating it. A huge amount of carbs on a day-to-day -day basis anyway so yeah, of course if we're training for an Ironman we're doing I don't know 12 to 20 hours of training a week and you're probably doing more hours over the weekend than you're going to do on race day so in that big block I think like I'm eating a huge amount of carbohydrates at that stage so I actually really try and take note of what I'm eating the two weeks where we're starting to taper so um, that training volume starts to drastically reduce and so I am trying to make sure I'm not you know, with that, my fuel intake needs to go down a little bit as well. Um, yeah, in terms of the last three days, yes, pretty much what Luke's saying is I eat a lot. Like, I'm not um, counting calories or anything like that. I'm not too focused on... But, yeah, stand, normally I'll have some porridge for breakfast. So, in terms of 
good carbohydrates in there, that's that's what I would usually do. So I stick with that. I maybe have a, a bigger bowl than usual. Um, rice and pasta, probably for those dinners. Yeah, I guess I'm looking rice, pasta, those cereals at breakfast and bread. Like, and I'm just trying to have a fair bit of that at all meals. Like I ate a lot of bananas. Yeah. Um, I enjoy snacking in those few weeks. So, um, yeah, so I'm not too scientific, but oh yeah, I'm certainly trying to eat a lot um, in those last three days. And I, I do often look up those numbers and do a rough sort of work, sort of estimate about that, but I'm not, not keeping too much track of it. Um, I, I guess the big thing is that I don't want to change too much in those few days. So if I don't have cereal or porridge ever, I wouldn't be all of a sudden having that for three days into a race. Or if I don't eat certain pasta dishes, I wouldn't be trying them. So things that I've things that I'm used to, things that I'm comfortable with, um, and it doesn't change too much. Maybe eat a little bit more than than I otherwise would have. But um, yeah, I, I like to not be picky because especially when you're travelling for races. I don't want to have a a meal that I have to have the night before a race because chances are you may not be able to get it and I don't want that to throw me out completely for what's going to happen race day. So yeah, I, I think a rice dish, a pasta dish, um, for me I'd have something vegetarian and not creamy but that's just me so I'll just try and stick to that and um, in terms of race day, um, again standard breakfast, I have the same breakfast that I'll have any Saturday or Sunday before a big training session so which is very high in carbohydrates anyway, porridge, banana, with sultanas, chia seeds, I'll have my coffee and that's pretty much it, so same same deal. On the bike I guess I'm, I've, I've sort of set some pretty good goals on the bike, um, for me 90 grams an hour is probably a bit more than I've found I can handle, so I'm not I'm not very big so maybe I don't need that. Um, that 60 plus range I'm trying to make sure I'm getting that in the form of mostly gels, um, some of the drinks and a, some bananas, maybe a bar just for something solid. The run, I often find an Ironman, um, I'm trying to get to the run being as minimise the deficiency as best I can. So on the bike I find it easier to eat and drink, so my goal is to sort of hit that run without being too deficient, not having burnt too much more than, not having burnt too much more than I've taken in. Yep. And then the run really, I don't know, conditions affect it, um, depending how I'm feeling, that's real big. So. Quite often the second half of the run at least I'm just pretty much coke and water. Um, I'm sick of gels, I'm sick of yep. the drinks that they're providing. So yep. um, cup of coke, cup of water, maybe a few cups of water, water on the head, ice, every aid station basically. So yeah, run wise I just sort of play it to feel a bit, yep. um, see where I'm at and sort of take in what I need. Afterwards if it's my A race then I don't really give too much thought at all to what I probably <laughs> should be doing. Yeah. Uh, generally though, yeah, I guess generally recovery, so earlier from a big session or a, or a race where I want to be able to get back training quickly, then yeah, I'm going for uh, calories really quick, so high GI, getting that glycogen back up really quick, um, making sure quality protein sources for a few days, I really like to make sure that's getting in there for muscle repair. Um, and then the hydration is a big one for me. Is is make sure I try and rehydrate. Just just something to to touch on. You mentioned you pretty much keep everything exactly the same pre race in terms of you have the same close enough to the same breakfast, and, and what you would do normally. You have your coffee, porridge, etc. Maybe Luke, you can jump in on this. Things things like gels pre race. We we know a lot of athletes do it. We sort of talk through them as to maybe pros and cons of doing it. Have you ever? taking things like gels and that immediately prior to the race and then why maybe yep. is it not such a good idea? 
Um, oh, I definitely have. Yeah. Uh, more recently, probably not. Um, and I do know. I guess I'll leave it to Luke to talk through. But yeah, part of me, there's two. There's two thoughts that I have. One is um, we're going to be able to transition. I don't know an hour before race start, perhaps. So and maybe we've left the hotel half an hour before that or whatever. It could be an hour and a half. It could be two hours from when you finish your breakfast to time you actually race. So I am conscious of that time. Is that I know we're not competing, but there's two hours of we are burning mm-hmm. calories for two hours yep. from where we were before we actually start. So um, I'm conscious of that and just maybe sipping on um, some sort of energy drink or um, just keeping that hydration up. Uh, maybe a banana or something if I, if it is like at Taiwan um, swim got brought from 3.8 to 400 and then the race start got pushed back another hour so I think it ended up being two and a half or three hours sort of from when we'd eaten so in that situation I definitely found some calories to put in um, I, yeah, I guess again um, Luke will talk through science I guess in a minute but what is comfortable I suppose like there is the sports science side, but if you start the race and you're overthinking things so much because you convince yourself yeah. you should have had one, yeah. and, well then I think we'll take one. Like if, yeah. if it's going to calm you down and get you through a swim, do it. If you are happy to, to keep going without it, and, and the science probably says that it's not ideal immediately beforehand for such a long event, um, then yeah, I guess. Yeah, I'm, again, I think you probably hit the, hit the nail on the head there because yeah, it's whatever works for you. Um, in an ideal world, you, you, you don't, but that's assuming you've had your proper breakfast, which I know a lot of people can't stomach a lot of food yeah. in the morning. So if you've come fasted and you get to the start line, you would be sucking down probably five gels, you know, yeah. really. Like, exactly. um, look, we, we know that when, when intensity is low, so at rest, we're usually predominantly fat, so we don't really use a whole lot of carbs, but we are burning them. But the, the big issue is when you when you sleep for you know eight, nine, ten hours, whatever it is, overnight, if you're not consuming any energy, any carbohydrates, you are, not a lot, but you are slowly but surely yeah. eating into those stores, yeah. then you don't eat in the morning, so on and so forth. So you might actually be in deficit, you know, maybe 400 calories worth, which, you know, is significant in the scheme of things. So we know that, um, if you look at the guidelines, a lot of them say, hey, you just want to, the idea you have a quick gel before a race just to top up your glycogen stores, like that's still pretty common common practice. Mm. But we also know that that um, insulin inhibits your fat burning. So when you have those, those sugary, whatever, drinks, gels, etc. You, you release a lot of insulin. And when you have a lot of insulin in your system, you, you do inhibit your fat burning. So if you start having a gel just, you know, five minutes prior to, to an event, then you know you're, you're basically going to be not, not using any fat, but you, you, you're not using as much as you would have been if your insulin was stable. So once I always say once you start having gels, you've got to keep having them because you're, just, you, you're burning more and more carbohydrates and less and less fat. And, and we know we only have a finite store of, of carbohydrates, so you've got to keep putting it back in. Um, so the ideal is that you, that you do have a proper breakfast and maybe you have something more moderate GI uh, an hour out, like a banana, something that's not super sweet but it still is carbohydrate-based. That way insulin, yeah, it's going to go up, but then by the time you start the race again, it's back to baseline, whereas if you have something sugary immediately before, insulin's up, um, you know, that could be up for yeah, whatever, 20, 30 minutes, and then you probably have another gel when you get out of the water and stuff anyway, yeah. so you're going to be in a very much a carbohydrate-burning position but um, yeah I think at the end of the day it comes down to to the individual the psychology of it as much as anything um, and if, you, if, you, if that's all you can stomach in the morning then then do it it's something is better than nothing but in yeah. an ideal world you have your big meal three hours prior and nibble on something an hour before and then just sip on your water or your electrolyte drink into the race and then away you go and start consuming gels after 45 to an hour probably as soon as you get on the bike chuck one in or yeah. in transition yeah so again that individualized approach of 
it's not gonna there's not one way or another for each person like you said if it if it's gonna give you a bit of peace of mind and just sort of relax you a bit by just taking it probably best to just take it rather than stress about it but I, ideal world yeah get that big breakfast in so you can pretty much avoid having it and just top yourself up as you need to um last little thing that we, we'll touch on race strategy and pacing so we talked about sort of planning nutrition leading in and, and throughout the race and and what's going on prior to the race in terms of this but how do we particularly even for something like Ironman we know you're going to be out there for a long period of time you can be out there best part of the entire day how do you pace yourself from the beginning and is there a particular strategy athletes should be working off to to get an idea of what what they should be sitting on in terms of wattage heart rate how hard should you go on the swim are there times you can lift your intensity a bit pick up a bit of time how do you go about it in terms of thinking about how you're going to go in a race or do you just Badly. get get into the race and just go for it um yeah it's a tough one um and it, I think it depends what you what what are you got. So are you someone? Are you just are we trying to finish? Is that is are you just trying to finish? Are you trying to finish in a certain time, or are you racing for a podium, a kind of slot, a certain position? Because I think that yeah. depends on on what you're going for. So if I'm just trying to finish, and or or in a goal time, I think it's similar. So if you've got a goal time which you've been training for with coaches or whatever system you're using then I think you should have a plan of swim time, bike power, heart rate, something like that. Bike time, I know we we're talking about goal times, but bike time is dangerous because what are the conditions, right? Yeah. So day-to-day, -to -day, race to race, plus or minus half an hour on a bike time based on wind is probably the big one. And again, marathon, if it's hot, you know, bigger issues. So, um, Guidelines, I think I've seen about sort of 70% VO2, uh, sorry, 70% FTP is possibly something to aim for, um, depending on how it could seem quite high for an Ironman, but it's going to depend on your conditioning, it's going to depend on what you've done in training. So I guess in months of training and how many long rides you've done, you should have an idea of what you can do for a 180k bike ride and still be able to run. That is the key. You need to be able to get off yeah. and know that you've got a marathon to run. So. If you were tossing up between, if you had a range of numbers that you were looking for, I'd be suggesting you go to the lower end of that. Um, within reason, I don't know if you can go too easy on the bike when you have to run a marathon. Like if you, you can, but uh, I'd be being conservative on the bike because it, yep. it is a long day. Um, so I'd be, I'd be probably, I'd be thinking power. Um, that way, if, if it's windy or if you're, depending where you are, you've got some hills, you're at Port Mac where the roads are really, really tough to ride on, then you can use that to gauge rather than speed or things like that. The run, probably you have a little bit more scope, I would say, depending on how that bike's gone, how you felt, how your fueling's gone, have you got all your fueling, you're going to have to adjust on the fly all day. You haven't got as much fueling as you plan, you're probably going to have to slow down on the run. Everything's going really well, maybe you feel good, you can, you can go for it. Again, I'll be taking the first half of the marathon conservatively because good if you feel good off the bike that's excellent mm. but if you feel if you've completely blown up 20k's down the road it's going to be a long 22k's to get back so I was going to say conservative a lot but it is a long day lots of things can go um, make peace with the fact that you're going to have very low points and that's not necessarily the end of your race so we're going to you, Ed, um, what do I say uh, troughs and peaks and troughs, peaks and troughs. And troughs I'm trying to say so that's going to happen 
Um, just do all the right things when you're in those troughs. Eat what you need to. Um, try and you know look for friends or family to lift you up. Use the crowd. The crowds are awesome because you will get through that and you'll 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 have a, a second wind or a third, fourth, and fifth wind if it's an Ironman. I think probably at Port Macquarie recently, I probably showed myself for the first time that you can swim too hard. I've always been a bit of the belief that go for it in the swim, just save your legs a bit. But I had, you know, I would say I definitely swam too hard. I hadn't done as much swim prep as I probably should have. And then I swam with the lead pack and felt really good. But my heart rate was too high for 50 minutes in the water onto the bike and that hurt me later. So yes, I think you can go hard in the swim. Individually, you'll know how hard though. You, you, I know we're not checking heart rates in the water, but hopefully through your training, you've got used to what you can hold. Again, comfortably. If you, I'm sure of all you get out of the water upright, you start running, and your heart rate. If your heart rate's 170 like that, you, it's not great. You don't want that to sit there for three, four minutes running through a transition, get on the bike, and then try and pull back. So, so from a lab science data perspective, what are we looking for in terms of maybe prescription of some wattages, paces, heart rates. Yeah. What, what area of our physiology would you ideally want to hit for something like an Ironman? Yeah, I mean, it's a very tricky question. People, I love it when people come in and say, hey, what, what, what can I do for an Ironman now? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> We're doing a 15 minute test. So uh, it is tricky. You can't, again, you go back to looking at like, you know, the, the elements of performance and yeah, sure there's physiology, but then there's, you know, heat and hydration, there's nutrition, there's recovery. There's so many mental pacing. There's lots of, lots of factors that come into, come into play. If we had somebody doing a two hour race, you could pick an Olympic athlete, you know, by doing one of these tests. But as soon as you're talking about eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 16 hour, Events, uh, it is very tricky to 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 give somebody an exact number. Um, we can do your best. We can do some sweat testing, figure out and your sweat, how much sweat you're losing per hour, what sodium loss is that. Do a do a hydration plan. Um, you can figure out you know your, your RER, so carb versus fat ratio, and then based on you know, that, then you pick an intensity, and if that's how many carbs you're using, you've got to replace those. Like there are some numbers behind it, um, but at the end of the day, it's about getting. To be honest, that's probably the 20% part. You know, the 80% is, is how do you feel on race day? You're rating a perceived exertion, how you're yep. feeling. Um, I think the main recommendation, as Tyler said, is have a plan, um, even if it is a, just a rough plan, but you want to have a plan and then be very able to adapt from that, probably pushing back as opposed to pushing forward, but having a, having a plan and staying consistent there. I'll get, from, a, from a zones perspective, an Ironman is generally going to be like top of zone two. Like Really, you're not going to be... You don't want to be in lactic acid all day because yeah. you know you, you, then you're burning a lot of carbs and you, you just can't physically have that that byproduct in your in your muscles for you know eight, nine, ten, twelve hours sort of thing. So you're looking at really being in that top end zone too. And as Tyler said, being conservative or just consistent and consistently yeah. holding that. So I think it's very beneficial to know when you are starting to produce a lot of that lactic acid because that is going to start to burn those matches. Uh, and then also having a rough idea of uh, if we can get a percentage of VO2 max that that occurs, as I say, you're supposed mm -hmm. to hold 70% of that, then you can get a pretty good idea of your, of your carb to fat ratio and then get a bit of a nutrition plan off the back of it, match that with your sweat rate, and, and you can get pretty pretty close from that. So um, there's a little bit of quite a lot of science behind it, but, but at the end of the day, you can get pretty close by having a plan um, and then yep. sort of adapting on the day depending how you're feeling. Yeah, yeah. So we'll sort, of, we'll sort of wrap it up there. Some few, well, plenty to think about in terms of physical, mental, uh, preparation, preparation for heat and different conditions, nutrition and, and, and pacing and strategy, I guess. So uh, hopefully it's given you a few insights into into how we go about from a science perspective, how Tyler goes about in terms of his racing, obviously pretty quick, like, even though sort of Port Mac didn't go so great. What did you end up doing total time? Uh, 10.07. 10.07. So Probably he's, what I deserved. Yeah, he's, 
probably what he's doing. He's still moving pretty quick though over at Ironman, so he must be doing something compared to, to most people pretty right. So in terms of some of that, if you have any questions with any of those aspects or, or want to consider maybe having a chat about some race yeah, planning sure. um, and, and even just come in, look, like I said, to, to have a chat to any of us or, or the whole team if you if you need to. Uh, definitely get in touch, send an email through to, uh, to nick at metsperformance.com. As always, any questions that you want to send through, either send them through via email or put them in the Mets Mastermind group and we'll see you in the next episode.